Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence, Jason Wallace, and Mike Nicoletti. Each week, we discuss topics ranging from geopolitics and macroeconomics to energy and technology. You can sign up for our newsletter at telltales.us. That's T-E-L-L-T-A-L-E-S dot U-S for additional data and content you can use to follow along. The following conversation is intended for informational purposes only. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. Okie doke. It's 3.30. I guess we can start. I'm going to start from the back. We're going to very quickly move to part of the 30 minutes. It's going to be called AI News, but let's just clear the deck on a few things before that. I changed Exhibit C to reflect more surplus capacity. Surplus capacity is almost 4 million barrels a day. This is OPEC plus cuts, plus a million barrels a day of Saudi curtailment for July and August. I think it's the way oil prices are working. I think it's likely that they will extend that. That brings them down you look at the top, in 22, they did 10.4 million barrels a day. And in 24, if they continue with these cuts, they'll be 9.3. The other changes are demand-related, and they're not significant. Now, in terms of owning companies that benefit from higher oil prices, the price of oil does better when Saudi and the other OPEC countries and Russia don't have to curtail production. So WTI returned to Exhibit B was trading near month in the beginning of 22 at 85. And with the Ukraine war happening and what, March, April of 22, it got to 108. The end of 22, it got to 86. And as of last Friday, it was sitting at 72. So, you know, the Saudi cuts and other OPEC discipline sufficient to hold WTI in the $70 range? Probably. But, but this is a long ways away from the people who are predicting that oil would get to $100 or $120. In terms of natural gas, it's kind of incredible. If you look at the third paragraph on Exhibit B, natural gas, the last five years, averaged 270 in 2019. In 2020, got all the way down to 220, rebounded to 370 in 21. And last year, averaged $6. This year, based on the six months actual and six months forecast, it'll average about 280. And the future curve says it'll be 350 and 24 and $4.25. Now, that recovery in price in 21 caused more production. And when the price recovered to be in the fives in 22, again, more production. 
So the production of gas in the U.S. in 2020 was 90 Bs a day. By the time we get to 23, it's 101 Bs, and that's 11 Bs a day more. So LNG went up six, power went up four, three, everything else is kind of flat. But the result is that in 2020, there was a slight storage addition, 1.2 Bs a day, and then it went kind of slightly negative in 21. This year, it's going to be 3.4 Bs. I mean, that is not sustainable. So what has to happen here is production increases have to slow down. A reasonable average for this year is 101. And then, as you can see from the chart, it's 102 and 24 and 103 and 25. That's pretty sedate as compared to going up 11 Bs a day from 2020 to 23. So hopefully that will come to pass. The increases have almost all been in the Permian associated gas and in the Haynesville. Our largest gas field, the Marcellus, really doesn't grow very much. So hopefully that will work out. We're going to talk about United Healthcare today. So on Exhibit A, the thing that has always spooked me about United Healthcare, which is the largest entity that delivers healthcare under Medicare and Medicaid plans, and generally working for corporations, is that the way to solve for lower deficits is to tackle healthcare. But I guess I've come around with a different way of thinking about it, and that is if there is going to be progress on organizing healthcare, it's going to be hard to do it without United Health. Now, if you turn to page 19, United Health is compared here with CBS, which is much more volatile performance than United Healthcare, but also trading at a much lower multiple times free cash flow. United Healthcare has about 25 billion of free cash flow, and CBS has about 16. CBS trades at nine times free cash flow, and United Healthcare trades at 20. A fair conclusion would be well, uh, they're both more or less competitors. Why not buy the one that is trading for half the free cash flow ratio? I think what that doesn't take into account is the United Healthcare is a machine. I mean, they do not vary in their performance. And you can see down at the bottom, based on interim results, and if you look back some number of years, their revenue of free cash flow goes up by about 15% a year. Whereas CBS, which has been planned together, was at insurance and was the drug chain and are making a lot of acquisitions of physician practices. It's a much less mature entity and really just doesn't work as smoothly as United Healthcare. So is should one have twice the multiples the other? I don't know. That's a that's a big jump. But if you're interested in one or the other, even though United Healthcare trades at a higher multiple times free cash flow, you have to have to be careful looking at the two of those. With that I'd like to just turn it over to Mike and Jason, and I'll put them in charge. There was a lot of AI news just in the past couple of days. 
why don't we have Mike describe the Microsoft news and, and Jason describe the Facebook or Meta news? Over to you, Mike. Sure. So for those that haven't heard yet, Microsoft has announced pricing for their AI co-pilot product, which will essentially bolt on to your Microsoft Office 365 subscription. It was widely expected and expected by us as well that pricing would be about $10 per user. The pricing actually came in at $30 per user, which in hindsight makes a lot of sense because people are currently spending $20 for ChatGPT, so an incremental $10 for something that actually works with everything that you already use and has all the safety and controls that one would expect as a business user running on Microsoft products, an incremental $10 over that $20 doesn't seem too egregious. So then the question is, what does this mean for free cash flow? So if we go to page two, we can work through my logic here as to what the impact on cash flow could be. So if if it's $30 a user per month, that's $360 a year. A shot in the dark at gross margin to make it simple, let's say $300 drops down to gross margin. That's a little north of an 80% gross margin, which is pretty high, but it is software and it's incremental to the existing software stack that they use to provide those services. But let's also estimate the number of users. They've got 450 million users on Office products today. So I guessed 100 million, probably a little low. So if you do that 300 million in incremental gross margin uh, a year by 100 million users, that's $30 $30 billion incremental free cash flow. So pretty nice number. So going back to page two and our free cash flow line, you saw that we've got $61 billion there. Add 30 to that, you get 91. You use today's pricing at $356 a share. And that gets us to a, just under 30 times free cash flow, which probably seems about right. What, what, what do you think, Hunt? I think that there's huge demands to use products, AI products, for, you know, away from work use or work use. And I think Microsoft, 100 million users, might be on the low side even. People who have grown up in the tech industry and have achieved a lot, either on the venture side or starting companies or both say that these AI programs, these large language programs are going to have the once a decade or maybe once every two decades kind of event equivalent to the development of the iPhone or the development of the internet. And those seem like extraordinary claims, but with all the people that use Microsoft products, picking up an extra $30 a month has an enormous impact on Microsoft's cash flow. Jason, do you think this, take first the development of the internet, second the development of the iPhone, maybe before the internet, the development of the PC? Do you think when we look back two or three years from now that we'll think that people exaggerate when they said AI programs were going to have that kind of an impact? Uh, Yeah, I I think it's definitely that class of event. And it's not earth shattering. We went from using PCs to mobile first on, on computing. It changed a lot of our daily behaviors. It didn't disrupt 
the world overall, right? And then this is going to be the same way. This is just a, a new, more efficient evolution of software. It'll make us all more productive, but I don't, I don't think it's going to completely change everything. You know, maybe maybe that opinion changes when robotics come into effect and they're actually there's AIs in the in the real world doing things for us. Um, but I think this just is a, a productivity enhancement for people. Right. What is what is Meta up to? Or first of all, what have they done? Let's do that, and then how do they expect to monetize it? But, sure. Uh, you you've been the advocate for Meta, and you've been right as rain. So. Yeah, so what they did this week was open source their Llama 2 language model. And then initial descriptions of it put it somewhere between ChatGPT 3.5 and GPT-4's capability. So more capable than the free version you get on the internet from OpenAI. The interesting thing about their license is they've provided it completely royalty-free for, for commerce. So I could build a model based on Meta's Llama language model and sell it and not owe Meta a dime, which is you know pretty interesting. But it's not unheard of. So the reason ChatGPT is, is named that is GPT stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer, um, and that itself is a software technology that Google came up with and open sourced it. So all this stuff is built on, you know, an open source foundation that goes back, you know, years now. So this is just meta contributing to it. But I, what I think happens, and the analogy I've, I've been thinking about lately is is that open AI is more like the pandemic era Zoom. It's a feature, not a product. So I, I think the, the valuation of something like open AI goes trending towards zero versus uh, what the private markets want to value it at today. That said, I don't, I don't think Microsoft's $10 billion investment in them is for nothing. It, it got them a huge head start, and now they're going to charge 30 bucks for an AI license on Office. But I, I see these models as just more software that will be freely available um, as, as Meta is doing. How does Meta benefit from this from a point of view? It's hard to quantify the benefits. It's kind of a, a tradition in, from software companies. Well, in, in the license that you get from Llama 2, one of the stipulate there's two stipulations. One is you can't use Llama 2 to train or improve another language model. And the other is if you have more than 700 million users, you have to call Meta. So 700 mu- million users is, is quite a big product. Mike informed me it's it's kind of the size of Snapchat or yeah. bigger. C- conveniently, they they drew the line just below that of Snapchat. So any company like Snapchat or larger would require a model. An interesting implication, though, is if you're a startup building a product on Llama 2, one of the primary ways to exit is to get acquired by a big tech company. So... It'll be interesting to see which startups choose to build their technology stack on Llama 2 versus something else because of that. Right. So so Meta, with their license, is saying you can't use it to build a direct competitor to that specific product. And then the way they benefit is, is they've done this before with a lot of technology to build user interfaces and mobile apps. So the, they'll open source the software libraries that you use to build that 
in turn, it gets adopted by the rest of the industry. And essentially other companies, you know, they're, they're outsourcing development of that product then to, to the rest of the industry. So other companies are having software engineers contribute to it, improve the product, and in a way, train up on it so that Facebook can hire those engineers and they've already got all the skills necessary, in this case, to build Llama 2 models so they can poach those, the best engineers from other companies. So that's kind of the, the benefit they, they get out of this. Which they've done before, right? With PyTorch is something they've contributed to the community that basically is self-feeding on them and that all these engineers are trained up on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the framework they used to build their mobile apps, it was kind of revolutionary at the time several years ago, but they open-sourced it a whole the industry adopted it, and then a whole pool of engineers were already knowledgeable on this technology that they could hire from. And, and, they, and they see the minimal downside to it because they, you know, people aren't directly competing with them by using this product. So, so an open AI would never do this because by definition, every product that is built on top of it is a competitor to them. Well, it goes back to the strategy that we see Apple pursuing in Amazon is commoditize your complements. And for all of those companies, artificial intelligence models are complements. Mm-hmm. For OpenAI, it is the core competency. Mm-hmm. So um, that, that's how you see companies pursuing very different paths when it comes to this stuff. Right, right. And why I kind of believe OpenAI's valuation is, is wildly stretched. I think a year from now, no one's going to be going to OpenAI's website to converse with the chatbot there. It's going to be built into Teams or Slack or even iMessage. What's the impact on Google, do you think? Because when chat became popular, it was kind of a considered to be a negative for Google because Google didn't have a similar product out there and, and Microsoft was going to be able to add this to Azure and had, you know, made some progress on search so that they were more than a 3% market share in search. How does Meta's move affect Google? That's a good question. It, it hasn't, we haven't seen these things disrupt Google yet. Um, maybe they're just completely separate use cases. Do you have any thoughts, Mike? Oh, yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, so for Google, the, the golden goose is search, right? Everything else that Google does needs to be done to protect the golden goose. So they spent tons of money and have led the industry in AI research, but didn't release any product so that they could be there ready to defend the golden goose. So I I think they're doing exactly what they need to do, which is just barely enough to make sure that they're still relevant and in the game. Will they figure out some ways to make incremental money on AI and whether it's their version BARD or their version of Microsoft's Copilot for the Google apps? They probably will, but I don't think any of it's going to move the needle relative to search. Right. And we've learned these, these models aren't reliable on providing you accurate information so or timely information in, in a lot of cases. Well, yet. I mean, yet. there's Absolutely. better... Better and worse ones, you know. I I think all that changes in six, twelve months. Absolutely, I I think another it'll be layers of AI, and and one of the layers will be you know fact checking the response that it tries to provide you, and 
if it's not accurate or if there's not a source behind it, it won't give you that answer. I'd love for these things to tell you, I don't know to a question one day. Right. Apple, by changing their systems, caused some significant revenue loss at Meta or Facebook. How will Apple try to add this AI capability to the software that keeps iPhone users coming back and not considering moving to Google Pixels or whatever else, Samsung phones or whatever else they might think about using. So I, I think what they're going to do is they're going to pre-bake some of, well, they've already done it with Stable Diffusion. They pre-bake some of Stable Diffusion into the operating system. They will do the same thing with their hardware. They'll probably pre-bake some of this stuff into the hardware. So one of the things we talk about with Apple is why are you going to upgrade? Because the phones have gotten so good. You know, the incremental benefit of upgrading your phone is getting smaller and smaller every year. That'll change, I think. I think that they'll start to pre-bake open source models into the phone, which will make their phones better, make the apps better, it'll make the ecosystem better. But again, it's a commoditize your complement strategy right because the value accrues mostly to apple mm-hmm. and impact on the videos of open source programs i mean does it does it make it easier to avoid let's say you have a you know fairly high-end r&d effort in biotech or something and 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 your scientists are clamoring for you know, your own, their own server farm of GPUs and giving NVIDIA the chance to provide the hardware and also the software and, in effect, go into competition on high-end users. We've discussed before with with Azure, Amazon Web Services, or Oracle, or, or Google. Does this make that less likely to happen? that there is this open source large language program out there that you know you you could probably probably figure out how to run on Azure or Amazon Web Services or how does that look to you, Jason? Yeah, I, I think you're you're right. It lowers the barrier of entry. Now instead of building your own language model from scratch, you have a a, a really good starting point to start from. So if it was too daunting for a small software team or just someone, a company where it's not their competency, there's less hesitation to develop these. So if anything, you know, demand of cloud resources for GPUs may go up because everyone's going to be experimenting with it since it's, you know, it's, if you mention AI in your, uh, your prepared remarks on your quarterly call, your stock goes up, <laughs> but more, more so, I mean, it, it's, it's going to be a, a productivity and efficiency benefit to all your employees. If you can figure it out properly. All right. Now, just one more question and then we'll have to leave the rest of it till next Wednesday. The people like Goldman Sachs have said all their employees early on, you're not allowed on your devices that are, hooked into our servers to use chat GPT because the result of that will be in effect taking information that's on our servers and folding it into uh, all the 
information that, that uh, the large language program operates from, will that be different with uh, this meta product or will that, or will they say the same thing to people who want to take a, you know, have a copilot subscription uh, for, you know, for doing whatever they're doing with Microsoft products or how will a, an entity that's worried about, you know, getting their information scraped, I guess is the term, how will they react to these two developments? Paths that you could go is build build your own in-house, but the reality is most companies, and I bet this is the path that Goldman chooses, most companies are just going to go with the Microsoft product. Microsoft announced Bing Chat Enterprise, which is essentially Chat GPT for enterprises. And the key features are exactly what we've been talking about with regard to this question. The chat data is not saved. That data is not used to train models. And Microsoft has no way of accessing that data. So that way, Goldman or any other company can feel at least somewhat comfortable using those tools for their employees and not have to worry about disclosing information to the wrong party. And, and speaking towards the, the llama version, the answer is it depends. You know, a company has a choice when they're building a product based on the llama model, how they're going to treat their customers' data. So they could either go the Microsoft route or, or go the OpenAI route and, and kind of merge it all together. Right. And if you're a Fortune 500 company, you're going to go with the devil you know <laughs> that has been a good partner to business for a long time. Yeah, they'll stick with Microsoft. And just one more question, and then we'll get to more next Wednesday. How will this impact Snowflake? Will this be a positive so that, you know, the Snowflake each quarter says how many of the Fortune 500 companies are spending at least $100,000 with them? Will, will this add to that total or add to the amount that these larger companies are spending with Snowflake? Yes. Yeah, we, we're pretty positive on this. So especially with a open Snowflake's already had a couple partnerships announced, but um, in this example, say they, they took the Llama model and then offered a way to train that a chat application based on all of your internal data that's already in Snowflake. I, I think uh, the, the CEO of Snowflake warned people at a conference that he spoke at recently where you're not going to want to start chatting with the application just for fun because they bill on a consumption model. Um, <laughs> but, but you'll be able to essentially converse, you know, with, with your data. And then the way I've kind of been thinking about it is this is, this is the new query format for unstructured data. Whereas, you know, databases and, and SQL, if you're familiar with that is, is the way you talk to structured data. Right. And Snowflake's been trying to, put structure around unstructured data. So now this just gives you a, a new a new interface to it. Right. Okay, well, we'll continue next Wednesday. In the meantime, everyone be well and take care of yourself, and we'll talk in a week. Take care. Bye-bye. The views expressed on this podcast are the host alone and do not constitute an offer to sell or a recommendation to purchase or a solicitation of an offer to buy, any security nor a recommendation for any investment product or service. While certain information contained herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, 
Neither the host nor any of their employers or their affiliates have independently verified this information, and its accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Accordingly, no representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made as to and no reliance should be placed on the fairness, accuracy, timeliness, or completeness of this information. The hosts and all employers and their affiliated persons assume no liability for this information and no obligation to update the information or analysis contained herein in the future and may or may not hold positions in the securities mentioned.